0: Alternative Play. Welcome to Alternative Play, a podcast that explores both the worlds of kink and nerd culture. No matter what your flavor of fun is, we talk about it all. The podcast where nerd and geek culture meets leather and latex. So tighten your restraints, break out your comics, roll a d20 and get ready for some fun.
1: Welcome to Alternative Play. I'm your host, JC. For those of you new to the show, Alternative Play is a podcast where we introduce you to those who dwell in the nerd and kink communities. We cover the gambit on alternative lifestyles and those who create content within all media. Alternative Play will cover topics that are quite adult in nature, so listener discretion is advised. Also, for those of you who've been following us for a while, we do have a Patreon, which we'll include in the show notes. This will help us keep the show going, And help back a number of kink and gaming related products, like our upcoming Not Safe for Work D&D livestream that we'll be showing live on PlexStorm in the near future. Alternative Play is honored tonight to welcome Sophia McScandal, a brilliant and sexy adult content creator working in video and erotica, and also a sex educator. I'll give her a chance to give a personal introduction in a few minutes, um, but I'd like to point out a few interesting facts. So... Sophia started in the Chicago kink scene really early. Um, Sophia has worked as a training manager, educating new employees about the usage of sex toys and fetish items, and she offers fetish services, including financial domination, which is something I would love to hear more about. So, Sophia, welcome to the show
2: thank you so much what a brilliant introduction i need to like cut that out and use that for some (laughs) promos
1: (laughs) you're welcome just well just trying here before we um jump into your experiences and talking a little bit about yourself give us an introduction who is sophia mcscandal
2: sophia mcscandal is a hypersexual all-inclusive erotic adult content creator and I like to say that because I create adult content of all kinds across all medias, whether it be from visual to audio uh, to actual task-based services.
1: So we'll definitely get into a lot of what you do as as we go on in the interview. But one of the things actually I really want to ask you about, because so I grew up in the San Francisco kink scene roughly in the early 90s, which is probably a... A millennia ago, but anyway, that's it was definitely a different scene than when I finally came back into it a few years ago. Um, I kind of took a took a hiatus, but I'm curious, what was the Chicago King scene like when you uh, came into it?
2: Absolutely amazing. I came into such a wonderful group of people, and honestly, as a I grew up in Chicago, which is a very diverse community to begin with,
1: mm-hmm. so
2: I I always felt very accepted in terms of my sexuality, but when you find a community of people who have the same sexuality as you or the same proclivities as you, I feel like it just... It opens your world up and, and the Chicago scene was so accepting and there honestly is so much to do in the scene that, I, I mean, I I jumped in head first and I have to say that there really, there's a Chicago group uh, that I believe there is a lot of uh, divisions across the nation. Uh, the Chicago TNGC, The Next Generation, which is a munch that had probably about 20 to 30 people who were attending on a weekly basis on average. So, I mean, it really just helped me grow my community and really find, you know, my footing within the scene. It really truly was, I I could not have asked for a better experience or introduction to the kink scene.
1: Going back to, I was saying like in the early 90s, San Francisco was very much a leather scene. Like it was just weird. There was no... You know, like things like DDLG and other sort of DS roles didn't particularly, if they did exist, they weren't particularly in the scenes that I was in in the circles of. Um, Was Chicago pretty much a leather scene too?
2: No, and that that was what was so great. And it could have just been the group that I was a part of because a it was a very large group and it more targeted... People in an age range versus people who were specifically in like a a DDLG or diaper lovers, like something like that, where actually there was a age play group who I did, uh, who I was a part of at the same time. And that was a much, much smaller community, or that was a much smaller munch, that was a much smaller group. You had a probably only about like 12 to 20 people who would go to that one. Whereas the TNGC, you probably had about 40 p- people at a weekly munch uh, going. So the TNGC had, you know, uh, total power exchange people, people who were just in it for, I want a little excitement in the bedroom, uh, to, people who were in it for very, very specific fetishes, you know, like feederism. So that was, I think, also a really great introduction to the scene because I didn't feel like I had to stick to one specific kink. I was really able to explore what I wanted to do or what fit my sexuality uh the best.
1: Okay. It's kind of weird coming from a for me, coming from a culture that was primarily leather to the modern day scene. I was at a um I was at an event in February called Fetish Flea out in Rhode Island. It was amazing. Like I just never was surrounded by so much good energy and so many different styles. I guess that's the best way to put it. It was really mind-blowing. So, and it was weird when I did see the the very few of, you know, I guess what is the the new leather scene or cuz they didn't they didn't look that old. So, but anyway, right. it was just it was kind of nice to see the big mixture, so but I was good that Chicago actually had more diversity again, there was a lot of different circles in San Francisco at the time. I mostly kind of hung out with the i guess the 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 Kingsters that were more of the like industrial and goth scene people, so it you know it kind of yeah. went to a certain. Uh, I went to a certain place with them. This next question, I know I asked you when we were talking before the show, but what flavor of kink do you identify with?
2: So I currently identify as a switch. I definitely have much more heavy submissive tendencies, and that's where I started my journey. That's where I gravitate towards. However, I find it very difficult to let myself be in that position and be vulnerable and trust somebody in that regard. So I find myself these days gravitating more towards the top mm. side of things. I do definitely consider it topping more than being dominant because I don't get the same gratification or release out of that. I do get satisfaction out of it. I do obviously enjoy it very much. However, uh, the that like craving uh definitely comes from being submissive versus uh, being uh doing any topping actions
1: okay so you mentioned uh in your survey that you worked in an adult store and so I have a couple of questions around that so i'm sure being around different people with different tastes was kind of fascinating especially i'm sure there's a lot of different people that walked into that store
2: you know people always expect it to be way more salacious than the job actually was Uh, i'm not saying that we didn't have our interesting characters but i at least my my store and my company we definitely catered towards a sex positive approach which definitely kept a lot of the more outlandish people out of my customer base which was definitely appreciated but don't get me wrong, uh you know when you're dealing with anything in the adult industry, you you definitely get you definitely walk away with some characters and some stories.
1: So, did you take away anything from that experience?
2: Oh, uh a million percent. I mean, not only did I learn how to educate myself on sex toy safety because not everything that is being sold like even my company that was definitely sex positive. And, you know, they definitely pushed to educate our customer base on safe products, but we still sold products that were not safe or toxic for our customer to use internally or, you know, just unsafe to use in general. And that that was something to me that I feel like definitely impacted me in the long run, which I think is so funny. Like you don't think about how working at a sex store is gonna change your ethics, but it definitely, I feel like made me realize that I could not ethically sell somebody a product that could lead them to harm, especially in that regard. So I think that that is something that people don't realize. So I try and educate as much as possible, which almost to, I I know that sometimes I probably get annoying to some people, (laughs) but uh, it's such an important thing. I I mean, and a lot of people, especially even if it was 10 years ago, a lot of the completely safe products you would automatically assume needed to have just a, a higher price tag on them. And that's it's just plainly not the case anymore. You could get safe stuff at literally every single price point. Um, So it's really just more about educating at this point. That's I feel like what I, I came out with the most and not judging people for what they want, because you would have people come in for, you know, anal play stuff or penis extenders or chastity cages or, you know, for every which way and you wanted to give them the best experience possible as a, you know, as a, I hate to say as a seller, because I really hated to think of my job as I was like selling you something. Cause I always feel like that seemed skeezy. Like, I just wanted to help you have the best evening possible. Like, and think about ever. you know, oh, did you think about this aspect of it? Oh, did you think about this? Did you think about this? And, you know, you're going to come out of it with, with the most outstanding night. That you could ever think of. That that's what I want. Tried to take. Yeah, out and I of it. think
1: that sort of education, especially when you're going into a um, an adult store, is like is really important. For example, there are four types of adult stores I've been to in my entire life. In San Francisco, there was a place called Frenchie's, uh, was out kind of the in the Polk uh, Venice area of the city, but lots of bright lights, lots of what they called buddy booths, and lots of videos. So realistically, that was the place to go and, you know try to read every magazine you can before they threw you out. But there was very little in toys. <laughs> there might be a, a random dildo here and there, but not very toy heavy. Um, the second one is this the classic seedy, blackened windows little store that people kind of look around in either direction before they enter. But again, you know, while they had sex toys there, videos seemed to be like their biggest seller. But again, no education. Like it was, things were on the shelf, but no one particularly cared. In the area I live in, Connecticut, there's two major stores. There's one called Love Boutique, and there's another one called VIP. Now, Love Boutique, I feel is. kind of, I'm trying to think. It's like everything there looks like it was like brought in by Wish, right? It's it's just all crappy <laughs> stuff that it's not even labeled right. Like the like whoever wrote it has no <laughs> no you know no practicing grammar whatsoever on the labels but no one there wants to educate you it's all expensive too i i went in there looking for i can't remember what it was it was something I went there looking for once a few years back you know i said hey do you do you have you know whatever i was looking for and i didn't get anything other than a pointed me in a direction and was even just kind of like all right well yeah that's all we have but then vip which is another one out here. I love because as soon as you walk in, one of the people will come up to you, ask you what you're looking for, show you everything within all price ranges. And then once you say, hey, I'm really interested in that, they will actually have a demo model somewhere and bring it out. Like, so if it's a vibrating device, it'll, you know, they'll take it out, put batteries in it and kind of, you know, put it against your skin to go, oh, well, this is what the, you know, this is what it feels like at low. This is what it feels like at high.
2: It sounds like your experience at VIP is exactly what my job was like at the location that I worked at.
1: Yeah. And it's a really nice experience. So when you leave there, you feel confident that, and not only just will they test the toys or whatever, but they will also like, yeah, sit down and they'll say, all right, well, look, this is how this should be used. This is how some people use it and answer any questions. If you, you know, They'll even, like, if you even ask about lube, they'll take you over and pretty much explain to you almost what every bottle does. You know, this one has this feeling. Yep. So that I really like. And that's the sort of place I'm going to go to. However, places like Love Boutique, in, uh, and again, in my area, I just it just feels so empty. It's like, all right, I'll go in there. It's overpriced. It's junk. And no one bother wants to bother to even tell you what it is. While, you know, you go to some like VIP and they just, everyone there is going to be running around um, helping you, answering questions, uh, even kind of walking you up to the front to just kind of go, all right, well, is there anything else? You know, here, you know, here's a cashier. So I really, you know, love the fact that that was your take on it. Realistically, I think any adult store owner should have staff or, you know, at least one person that's kind of the, the toy guru or, you know, or at least someone who knows something about like sex education, because, you know, it's going to be really helpful.
2: And it's constantly evolving. That's one thing that I learned. I worked at my company for over five years and the toys and the knowledge that I came in with, it grew so exponentially and things were constantly coming on the market and things were improving where to if you don't, if you're not constantly learning, especially in that regard, you will be left behind for sure.
1: Now, the only thing I kind of laughed, because one of the reasons I went into VIP in the first place, God, about a year ago, was I was, I was basically looking for um, BDSM gear. And all I did was just like, look at things and go, do people really use Velcro? So, I mean, And as as someone pointed out and told, and basically I was a little shamed by it, but, you know, there are some people with um, certain disabilities that Velcro is very helpful to use because it's easier to take off than trying to, because believe me, I have, um, I have a couple of, I want to call them shackles or not shackles, but basically restraints (laughs) that literally I build a sweat trying to like pull the thing into place. So I can kind of see where Velcro can be a little easier to use uh, for sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, but it was just kind of disappointing to go in there and it's just like, Oh, look at this, this, it, everything looks so cheap. So obviously when I went to the yeah. event in February, I probably dropped about $300 and, and I'm just I'm going, this is real leather. And this has like, <laughs> you know, just, it's kind of like, I don't know, one of the kids in Willy Wonka's oh. factory. I was like freaking out
2: it's so bad. My coworkers at, or my old coworkers at this point, cause I no longer work at, at the sex shop anymore. They still know all of my, you know, all of the things that I would tend to gravitate mm-hmm. towards. So anytime in particular, one of my big things is I really, really love gags, gags of all kinds, especially if the more unique they are, I tend to gravitate towards them more. So they had gotten a pure silicone rose gag Mm. uh, that, is just i mean it is stunning i mean just a complete work of art and they texted me it had come in in shipment and they texted me saying hey by the way this came in and and i texted back i was like you could put that aside i'll be in this weekend to pick it up like (laughs) (laughs) so it's nice to still have that in too (laughs)
1: absolutely the scary thing is the the last gag i bought well actually the only gag i bought was off of Amazon, which is even kind of weird that you can just go on Amazon and go, okay, I'm gonna order a coffee. I'm gonna order, um, there's a book that I want. And yeah, give me a ball gag too. Just, you know, toss it off the box. Yes. So, but, so there's a question though. I mean, would you, having worked in the adult store and having worked with kink and sex education, toy education, what are your thoughts on the fact that some of these things can just be ordered from Amazon and shipped to people?
2: You know, it's really hard. I understand that a lot of people, that there is either a a financial aspect mm-hmm. to it. Uh, a lot of toys are just, they're plain old, they're expensive. And Amazon has prices that are very mm-hmm. appealing. However, there are a few reasons for that. Typically, most toy manufacturers have, especially for rechargeable toys, which are typically the more expensive toys, which are typically what people will gravitate towards at a lower price point on Amazon. A lot of those manufacturers have year long warranties, or some of them even have lifetime warranties for some of their products. And they will not honor those if they are purchased through Amazon because you cannot verify that that is a. Legitimate toy. You don't know if that was resold. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole bunch of really sketchy stuff about Amazon. However, like I said, I do understand that, you know, there is a financial aspect to it, and it can be difficult to find those toys at low prices. What I would say is that you have wonderful companies like Love honey and Babe Land and all of this kind of stuff, or the direct manufacturer who they will eventually run a sale. And I know that it stinks to have to wait for something that you want right now, but doing it through a legitimate ch- channel, doing it through a legitimate mm. channel, will always behoove you in the long run. Is typically what my answer is uh, for somebody who is looking to purchase something through amazon
1: that makes a lot of sense it's just again going back into that talking about that sort of like if you buy something and you're not sure how to use it although most of this stuff on amazon isn't particularly complicated like most of it is vibrators nipple clamps and and yes. well they do sell floggers and whips which that can without properly knowing how to use those can do a lot of damage but from for whatever reason i did buy so it, my it's confession time for me. I did end up buying a, a flogger on Amazon, which I thought was kind of nice. But then I bought another flogger at the event, and I just can totally tell the difference between the Amazon <laughs> flogger, which honestly you could like—I don't know who it would possibly hurt—or you have to swing like crazy to like even get a, a sting. However, the thing I bought the um, I bought at um, the event that thing's heavy. Like, honestly, it like, you could probably, I don't know, it's like a livestock flail. It's just massive. So yeah, Amazon, you're probably not going to get too dangerous of stuff, even though, you know, it, it, it can.
2: In the wrong hands. Yes. Well, and, and this is the thing that I really dislike about Amazon. So another, before I started uh, at the sex shop, I reviewed sex toys, which was, uh, yeah. So I've always been, I've always been around sex toys, honestly, since, since I became of age, I knew I was like that, that's my calling. (laughs) So I, I also know because of that, once again, the ethics of that is that you really shouldn't, if any company, no matter what is giving you a product to review, They're not giving you a product for a positive review. That is, it's literally illegal. They cannot, you know, but whatever. A lot of people don't care because they just want the product. Uh, So that's also what you get a lot of on Amazon is these really sketchy people who will offer, oh, well, I'll send you a toy. You just have to leave a five-star review. And that's how you get some of these toys where you're like, how does this, Random $20 Hitachi knockoff have five stars and you're like oh because all of those reviews have been essentially purchased like it's it's absolutely crazy absolutely crazy
1: oh wow that's oh i never even thought of that it's it's mar it's marketing yeah pure and simple yeah so but yeah it's an interesting take although like i said there's very few things i bought on amazon and the stuff i have i usually buy to give away yeah so like if i like at the event i had some uh i had a few toys that i was just like all right bought these on amazon so let's let's switch a little bit of gears here so going into fetishes Not that we're really switching gears by talking about (laughs) fetishes, but anyway, so the one that I really, 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 really want to know about because it, it sounds interesting is financial domination, like explain financial domination.
2: Okay. So financial domination is where essentially I, so there's, I like to say that there's two different forms of financial domination. There's the form of financial domination where somebody derives pleasure from giving somebody money or control over their money. So just pure, plain, and simple, you are not looking for anything else out of the interaction other than finding yourself in financial strain or that like worry of we i mean i don't know about you or your listeners but i have had the you know strain from one month to another of like oof you know okay i'm i'm really glad that all of this stuff lined up so i could pay this bill or like that worry of mm-hmm. is is this going to get paid on time and and that kind of nervousness that kind of stress and strife is akin to somebody At the other end of a paddle, you know, you're, you're still getting that same kind of emotional kind of turmoil just without any physical aspect to it. So that's, that's one part I would say of financial domination. And then the other part of financial domination is more about uh, either coercing somebody from their money or convincing somebody to part with their money, or else taking complete control over their financial aspects. So it I would then get your entire paycheck. I'll make sure because if if I am financially dominating you, I need you to continue to have a roof over your head. I need you to continue being fed. I need you to continue. all of your necessities will be taken care of, but you might not be. Eating macaroni and cheese for dinner, you might be eating ramen because the rest of that money is going to go towards me then. Uh, that is more than a, a portion of financial domination as well. So one or the other, which both of them I, I, I greatly enjoy.
1: <laughs> wow. That's, I mean, it's interesting to like that first part where you're talking about the stress of not being able to make ends meet actually is is a fetish i mean i get you know and again i don't fetish shame but that it's just my brain is just going okay right or, or i mean would you consider an accountant a financial <laughs> fetish yeah. like it just that last part was just like wait doesn't an accountant do that yeah. like take all your money pay your bills and then tell you not to spend your money
2: yeah yeah true <laughs>
1: Wow, it it gives a whole new light to CPAs.
2: Yeah, yes, exactly. Do it with some high heels and a whip and you you've got a whole new market.
1: <laughs> so I know that there's other there's other fetishes that you um help others indulge. Uh do you want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Oh goodness. I that honestly and this is probably very apparent throughout hope uh, hopefully it's apparent throughout this interview is that I I truly love exploring all fetishes. Yes, there are some fetishes that I definitely gravitate more towards. I personally really, really love taboo role play. I really love, I really love gags. Um, I really love uh, cuckolding scenarios. I love all sort of, all sorts of feet and foot job content. Uh, Those are probably the things that I gravitate, oh, and burping it's like the weirdest thing that people love porn of. And I, I happen to find it hilarious. I think burping is like the funniest thing in the world. So those are, those are the fetishes that I tend to gravitate the most towards uh, helping people indulge. Um, However, there are some that I've helped with that. I mean, I have so much enjoyed that. I weren't even in, my purview before getting in into this industry or into this particular job i mean there are people who i had a guy for a few months who would pay me fifty dollars a week to buy a pack of bubble gum and send him a just a minute long video every single day of just me chewing bubble gum that's all he wanted and the wow. thought of that just like it's sort of you know, you don't realize that something like that could be sexualized, but I love finding out how I can sexualize that or satisfy those like odd kind of fetishes for somebody.
1: So burping, are we talking the over the shoulder patting on the back burping that you would do for a baby or no, is this something no, really different? just like,
2: you know, I, I just drank some soda and I'm feeling a little like I just have some burps that I need to get out.
1: I, if this was a video, I mean, you'd see my face, which is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and again, no, no kink shame here. I mean, everyone has something that completely turns them on. It's just my brain, you know, it's like, you don't think about those things. It's just, And when you hear that that is a fetish, it's like, wow. Okay. That's, that's interesting. I, but somewhere along the line, psychologically, Burping triggers a good memory, triggers something sexual. So
2: I think it's you know. also the fact that women typically are not like burping is not something that women do very like proudly or it's like, oh, like I'm ashamed yeah. of that or shy. So then getting that where, oh, like that turns me on, like it's such a, a dichotomy from what you're used to normally that I think that's also where the taboo kind of aspect of it comes in. And at least for me, the fantastic thing about it is I genuinely enjoy it. And I think that that really comes across in videos too, is if you are doing something because, hey, I'm doing this because yes, it's my job, but I'm not really doing it because I enjoy it. I feel like that comes across on your face. And I, I try not to ever take on a customer or client or anything like that in this kind of work that I do not genuinely want to do that. I just feel like it, it just makes the most sense. And there's so many people, there's so many different creators out there that there is somebody out there who is going to be so excited to create what you want. You know, don't come to me if it's not, it, you know, if we both can't get excited over it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I see also a lot of content creators also just putting out there, that they do custom custom work and things like that which is kind of nice because there's I want to say probably about a million different bits of pornography between all the different sites out there yeah and there's still those things that you might go on there and look for and go what (laughs) no one's done this yet (laughs) yeah so it, it is kind of nice to know that there are some creators that will do custom work because you know there's always that one kink there's that one fetish that is not getting fulfilled and uh you know they they definitely want to have it done but yeah there's just there's just a world out there to explore and sometimes you're kind of surprised that no one's actually you know explored that yet or had done a video or and i mean i and then honestly i've seen a lot of goofy stuff like world of warcraft porn and (laughs) you know things like that where i am just going, wow okay that's kind of cool but um
2: I have a couple Pokemon Go themed porn, so that I I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, <laughs> it's like the oddest things sometimes that you're like, really.
1: No, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but to someone who is really into Pokemon and really into sex or porn, might associate those two things, and that's where you know that that need comes from. There's always going to be a need, yeah, for something and. Unfortunately, we still live in a society that is sometimes well, I wanna say sometimes most of the time, are afraid to speak up about their needs, their wants. And I think it's kind of sad in a way because you know, if we're not living our life to how we want to live it, then definitely <clears throat> we're missing out. So it's it's good to know that there are things out there that we can go to. And I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, men and women who will have the Pornhub on their phone somewhere and look at it and immediately like shut it off, put the phone down, you know, but it exists. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the most important thing. So actually this is a perfect segue into my next question is, um, so you work with um, basically creating adult video content. Yes. You know, honestly, was that something that was difficult to get into set up? Was it kind of something that's like, ah, this, this was really easy. So are you
2: asking more from a, was the decision to do it easy or was like the process of like, once I made that decision to get everything started, was that easy?
1: Probably the um, the, the second one, definitely. But I'm just, I would be curious to hear just what your thoughts were on beginning to do it.
2: So I... I began to do it because I have, as this interview has proven, I have always been very sexually open. Um, I've always, I have always taken that kind of, those kind of photos and videos, obviously just for, you know, my own personal use or for, you know, my partner's personal use and a a little over a year ago, I had decided that I, you know, me and my partner were going to restructure some of our financial earnings. And I had realized that I needed to, or I wanted to start monetizing what I was already doing. And so I started looking into that. I did a lot of research and I would recommend that anybody who was looking into doing this would do a lot of research because it is definitely not something that you can. Okay. So for example, I, I worked at Taco Bell briefly. Mm. That's something that I technically never need to tell people. People would never know about me and it doesn't make a difference one way or another, obviously. But if I tried sex workout and quit after two months it is a lot more difficult to brush that under the rug. You know, online sex work, the internet is forever. And to make that jump, you really do have to think about that before doing it Um, and realize that it is not the, a lot of people do the fake it till you make it model of flashy showy things online in terms of Mm -hmm. this business and i could tell you from knowing for being in this for a while from talking to different creators from my own personal rank on websites you know it's it's not as lucrative as some people think yes if you are in the top percentage of course you could be making six figures a month but an average creator by no means is is making Uh, that I wish. Um, So that's something that I think you need to be very cognizant of before coming into the industry, do a lot of research, figure out what you want to create, um, figure out what you want your, uh, your sort of like persona and branding to be. um, And then go from there. From there, I, that I think depends on What websites you're going to be on, because certain websites are geared more towards fetish content, more towards boy girl content, more towards trans content, more towards, you know, uh, just solo content. I mean, they're every single clip site has something that they more so specialize in. So once you figure out your branding, that should be where you focus. but then it's it, it is pretty easy. All you need is your is your ID and, and a phone. Honestly, you don't need a laptop. you don't need a computer. As long as you have a halfway decent phone, you could you could do everything that you need to do for this for this job.
1: I got to um, watch one of your videos. Yes and the, the sound and picture quality was excellent. It's weird. yes it was i'm talking about porn i'm going the sound in the video is excellent (laughs) but it was actually you see a lot of stuff that stuff that people claim to have uh, done professionally as well as professional i guess as it gets and it's just like really you know either the video is kind of off or it's only done in like 720p or the audio sounds like i don't know someone just put a box of handkerchiefs over the microphone (laughs) But what you had the what, the video I watched it was again uh, the video was very clear the the sound quality was was great. Did you go out and invest in the equipment or are you just using a phone when you do that? Because I'll be really like. If you say phone, I'm going to be like, whoa, that's, that's pretty amazing.
2: Okay. So I know which video, I, I did not use my phone for that video. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I did once, once I got into the job and I realized that this is something that I wanted to do Long term, that I I did start investing into it, which I would recommend, and I feel that anybody who is serious about the job, it when I say that anything that I put into, uh, into this job in terms of equipment, I have gotten back tenfold. Uh, improving the quality of the product going out is it, it only increases where you could go down the road, and I do agree with you that. There are definitely some lower quality uh, things out there, but I don't want to throw shade because I don't, I know for 100% certainty that there are a handful of videos before I upgraded some of my equipment that I do sell that are definitely, I don't know if I have any that are 720, but I probably have some that are like 1080. <laughs> but I do believe that in order to, I could sell a video That was low quality in terms of my visuals or in terms of my audio. But the likelihood of you coming back and purchasing something else from me is very, very low if my quality is low. And I like to create return business. I think that if somebody has the ability and niceness and all that kind of stuff to make a purchase from me once, why would I not try and encourage that again. And that's sort of in the realm that I lie. And honestly, with Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist and all that kind of stuff, a lot of the equipment that people are looking for in order to upgrade is being given away or being sold at a fraction of the price. The ring light that I have, I did not pay a single cent for. I think probably the thing that I I my I got a full length mirror. Didn't pay a cent for that. That was on Facebook Marketplace. I I think the my or that is the time where you can go to Amazon and that's the perfect place to find equipment like that. Uh, yeah. Not that this not that this interview is a great uh, advocate for or a great uh, selling point for it, but the microphone that I have I bought on Amazon. <laughs> so there that is the perfect time to utilize that and yeah lighting is probably the biggest thing though that I would recommend that somebody purchase before even purchasing a better camera If, if even with just your phone uh you would be fine I would recommend purchasing lighting before anything else because exactly like you said that it definitely sets you apart when you could see the action that is going on. That I mean that's that's the sexiest thing. You want to be able to see what you're you know, what you're purchasing essentially.
1: No, absolutely. And I, I I'll be honest and say that I do have a couple of your videos bookmarked for later purchase. Oh so yay. <laughs> definitely. I totally get it. Cause one of the things so a couple of things annoy me about video at this point. And I know this this interview is not about what disturbs me in video but i think I, i'll just voice it since the conversation's on it is some people still use music like it's 1985 oh, you know it's like all right come on that's that, that's that was great in the 70s that was great in the 80s but uh, no we don't need funky you know wow 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 music while you're uh doing things you're my
2: favorite person right now that is my biggest pet peeve <laughs> I have, I have an old video that an ex of mine made prior to doing any of this, that he sort of edited together. He's like, Hey, now that you're selling videos, you should try and sell this one. It's from way back when, and I will tell you, it is the only one of my videos <laughs> with audio <laughs> as the underlying track, because I, I, it is, but it. It is not as bad as it was. He had this really loud, like rocker kind of music that did not fit (laughs) with what was even going on. Because that's the other thing. If you're going to have music, at least have it like fit the action and don't have it overpower what's going on on the screen. And isn't like one of the sexiest parts of just any sexual activity is the noise of it all. Like the auditory experience of what's yeah. going on.
1: And I guess the second one is with video, people who don't bother to do close-ups or change camera angles. Yeah. Cause it's, it, cause yeah, again, it's like, all right, you're doing some cool stuff, but from this angle, I can't particularly see you doing the things that I'm watching this video for. Yeah. So, you know, so that, that's my second one, but the big one is like, come on, music it's um it's 2020 um and the second one yeah it's like come on just you, do a close up get you know i understand that maybe some people just set the camera off yeah. to the side and then do their thing and go look i made a video well that's great i'm not going to i'm not going to discourage uh creators because right. honestly you know i'm one myself you know i do podcasts and i do streaming but still it's like you, if you don't make it interesting Then the, and again, something to you said is that no one's going to want to come back and watch your next one because they're just going to go, oh, okay, well, you know, this was the put position here video that you shot from across a hotel room.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Although I will say, and this is something that I have started doing, like one of my recent releases, um, oh, I guess even in the normal video, I do, I do have a couple angles, but It it is difficult, at least from a creator standpoint, the more angles that you have, uh, the, the longer it takes in, in the editing process. Yeah. So what I have found to do, or what I have found to work for me is I will have one angle that really for the gist of it, like captures everything that it needs to, that Mm -hmm. I'll sell as, you know, this is this blowjob video. And then I have all of the other angles that then I'll take the time editing into the video, how it needs to be. And then I'll market that one as the deluxe blowjob video. So you get more angles, you get more, you get more footage, you get all that kind of stuff. It's typically, well, it's not typically, it's always longer. So, and then I charge a little bit more for that one, but either way you're still getting essentially the same thing. You know, it's just if you want more angles, if you want the more time that I spent on it, you're just going to have to spend, you know, an extra two or three bucks for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do, I do video editing through Premiere Pro and Camtasia for my adult day job. <laughs> my big boy job and yeah it's it's painstaking so yeah. I can totally understand all the time and effort you put into that just really can yeah why not charge more because that was like more time to yeah to get it done so having done this and you know having a, a nice selection of video and a good library out there um, what are some of the rewards of doing this I mean what do you get out of it that just kind of obviously, you know, producing things is always a good feeling, but are there any other rewards that you get from uh, producing content?
2: Two things come to mind. Number one is uh, I have developed a love affair with my butt. Um, I never, (laughs) (laughs) prior to starting to sell photos and videos, I, you know, I don't know, it's behind me. I don't really think about it much. I, you know, sure other people may have been like, oh yeah, you got a nice ass, but I've, I've very nice boobs and I could see those all the time. So that's just what I tend, tended to focus on. And since starting this all, oh my goodness, I love my butt. So that is a huge perk that I would have never thought. And I am not somebody, um, I not only is this job probably not for really made for people with low self-confidence, but I, that is not a Mm -hmm. problem that I have ever had. Um, So I didn't really think that it would make me like something about myself so much more. So there's that, that's one perk of the job. And then the other one is that completely like, I'm sure nauseating and totally cliche, uh, You know, some of the customers or honestly, just the friends that I've made uh, from this have just been amazing. You know, right now, obviously a lot is going on with the coronavirus and the amount of people who have reached out to me to who know like, oh, hey, I I know with your job that you're still going to work. Like, how is this going? How is it like the amount of people who just are constantly checking in and concerned and who, who at least if it is a, if it is not genuine, it is a very good act of, of genuine compassion and concern for people. I, I just, I find that absolutely amazing. And there are people who I genuinely, if I take a photo or if I see something throughout the day, or if I think of something, they are the people who I want to talk to, and to tell about it. And I think that that's pretty phenomenal that a, that a job created such a strong connection, even if like, and, and cause I know a lot of people are like, well, you know, they paid for that connection, but they didn't because, you know, my, the fact that I can think about them when they are not paying me and that mm-hmm. I can have that, you know, connection and and feeling. Yes, there is, there is money exchanged, but that doesn't, that doesn't make those, you know, feelings any less real on either person's, on either person's end.
1: I think we tend to find rewards or, so for example, uh, I was having a conversation with one of my guests a couple episodes back, Master White Owl out of Oregon. Also, we were just kind of getting the conversation about, things of this nature being therapeutic as well for example this podcast was based out of me not being in the scene for many 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 years and getting back into it and trying to basically figure out where i fit in again or try to i guess frame it in my mind because i you know i'm, I'm a huge nerd I'm, i've been a gamer since god knows when when this started coming back in my life i was trying to balance it and i was going well maybe i'll do a podcast and talk about kink and gaming so, and then it just, the, 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 slider started going across, but do you find any of this therapeutic in a way?
2: I don't know if I would go so far as therapeutic, but it definitely has helped me rediscover a lot about my sexuality. My husband and I had a few kids and that, you know, it just throws, it throws life out of whack sometimes. And yeah. definitely sex. I mean, it it definitely, and we, we had two kids back to back. So it threw our sex life out of whack for a prolonged period of time. And being able to, it seems silly because you, I feel like other people talk about us scheduled sex, which I'm sure that if I didn't have this job, we would probably have scheduled sex. But this is, this is the perfect alternative for it because it is I hate to use the word force, but it it is, it is forcing us to, you know, consistently be sexual with each other and, you know, explore new things and to be more open about the communication with each other. We, funny enough, we just had a conversation earlier today about how we wanted to start incorporating rope and rigging more into our plan, how we could do that and how we could incorporate that into content and all of that kind of stuff, which, you know, if, if I was not making content, I don't know if that, com- I, I would like to think that that conversation would have still happened, but I don't know how likely it is that, you know, I have, I've, I've got a full-time job. We've got kids, we've got, you know, with all of these other life things going on, would I actually set aside time to actually explore these new ways of connecting with my husband when, you know, Hey, we're really worried about the, you know, the garage needing to be cleaned out or, you know, whatever life bullshit is going on right now.
1: I mean, conversation around anything, especially uh, when you're a lifestyle couple uh is again is really important because without that communication then you have the breakdowns and a lot of times just nothing you know you start sending off different messages so that's great yeah that communication is super important and rigging and rope yeah cool (laughs) (laughs) so all right so now we're going to switch a little bit of gears because we're kind of coming on time but um so a couple of things you pointed out, I, well, first of all, made me incredibly happy. So you you completely had me at Doctor Who and X-Men. Yes. <laughs> so let's hear a little bit about your nerdy side.
2: Oh my good. Well, which one do you... Okay, so let's start with X-Men because I feel like that one's the easiest I am... I'm a true X-Men fan. I can't even speak right. I got so excited there. (laughs) (laughs) I am a true X-Men fan. Uh, My my first born child is named after my favorite storyline in the X-Men universe. So that, which is the Dark Phoenix storyline, which was before Mm -hmm. the movie came out, just wanted to be, not that like that would have even crossed in the realm of that being the reason why I would have named my kid after that movie, but just to be clear. (laughs) And then uh, as far as Doctor Who, I I could go on for ages about Doctor Who, in particular about how, River Song is his one true soulmate, and that's just all there is about it, and how Clara is the worst companion, and uh, I would fight people over the fact that Donna is the best companion. Who? Okay, well, before Donna I say
1: is this, the Okay, well, hold on. All okay. Right. So I was about to be excited, too, because I love Donna. <laughs> okay. Donna is my favorite companion.
2: Me, too. Okay, I'm so glad <laughs> you said I was just about to say, well, before I say who well, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I couldn't, Rose, I didn't like, for whatever I mean I had my reasons why I didn't like her but yeah I didn't like Rose Clara was annoying yeah like just I just shrugged my shoulders I kind of liked Martha Washington for a bit um but that kind of got old too yeah I'd have to say Donna was like the sassy plus size companion (laughs) that was attracted to and also thought was amazing yeah just as far as the actress and the character yeah so she was awesome
2: Yeah, I was not, I was not a huge fan of Billy Piper, but I loved the dynamic of Donna after everything, like after, after Martha, after that, like, I just think that's exactly what he needed. Like it just, everything just fits so perfectly with her character Oh, goodness. I will consistently, that's my shower <laughs> curtain is uh, is the TARDIS flying away in space is my shower curtain.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I watch so Doctor Who for me goes back to when I was a kid and I used to watch the, um, the reruns on like PBS uh, going back to the fourth Doctor. And then after a while, I was just kind of like, all right, this is, uh, this the low tech of it kind of turned me off. I yeah. love the stories, but I didn't like the tech and then when the uh chris eccleson's doctor when yeah. they kind of revised the whole thing i just completely fell in love with it again because it was just amazing it was up to date it wasn't it was still kind of cheesy special effects yeah. but on the other hand it if you compare that to say <gasps> oh the 70s yeah it, it's it's night and day yeah when star trek had better special effects than <laughs> Doctor Who, <laughs> That's, yeah saying was, something <laughs> But I am i mean, I, but Star Trek is probably one of my favorite fandoms um, outside of like other things, because that was the one I grew up with. That's the one that when I became a late teen, I would like smoke pot and watch Star Trek episodes just to hear Spock talk. <laughs> so, I mean, it yeah, Star Trek has a very special place in my heart. And X-Men. So the, the sad thing is I never really was a Super Marvel fan. Like I loved Spider-Man and the Hulk when I was a kid but i've always been dc so basically batman is like my higher power
2: oh no that's and... that's perfect i love batman too batman is probably the only dc character who i could talk at length about everybody else i i really i really don't jive with not that i don't jive with they're interesting i just you know if i if i was going to sit down with something it would probably be, and it would either be X Men or I really love. There is a local uh, independent comic uh, company, comic publisher, and they do a bunch of more like really, really dark horror comics, and I like those uh-huh. as well.
1: All right, and actually, kind of leads us then to my my last question for you is scary movies, which. To find someone who actually enjoys scary movies, to me, is is rare. It's kind of like, I don't know, finding the holy grail of, of people. And it's weird. Not, I mean, I have a lot of male friends who love uh, scary movies. Yeah. But on the other hand, like my wife, um, people I've dated, um, my partner, just don't do scary movies. So it's it's kind of refreshing to hear like someone go, oh, I love scary movies. So what kind of horror are you into?
2: Okay. So I am into very realistic horror so essentially something that could actually happen so are you a fan of american horror story
1: i've only sadly enough i've only watched one season really early on and i have one i bought on voodoo which is the roanoke season which i heard wasn't that great but i'm a big fan of that the story,
2: the story of Roanoke. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there is a particular episode and it just, it's still to this day, like resonates with me in my head where there is a particular scene where somebody is like locked inside of a room, essentially being sexually assaulted. And there is a door that, you know, she's like, if I could just get out of this door, I could be saved without realizing that there is somebody on the other side of the door essentially making it so even if you get out you're not going to be saved and the thought of that was just so terrifying to me because you know there there is no sense of well if they just got away from this crazy axe murderer it's like no There is no escape there. It is just pure terror. There is, you know, you are going to get what is coming to you Um, or anything from Rob Zombie. I am a huge Rob Zombie fan and that could just be because I really like him or I am in love with his wife.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, You've you've now become probably one of my next favorite people. (laughs) I like Rob Zombie. I so the trilogy is is pretty amazing what so i i was a little disappointed at the end well the last one because the the scenery just didn't make any sense it's kind of like all right well we didn't die and now we're going to mexico yeah and then it just went into this like hey did robert rodriguez write the last part of this movie (laughs) the three from hell but all in all house of a thousand corpses was amazing oh yeah Devil's Rejects also amazing. I like the fact that it really felt like a '70s grindhouse movie. Yes, and then From Hell definitely. It was a wrap up of the story. It's sad to see that uh, Sig Hayes, yeah, didn't you know make it past. I actually two years previously got to see him in q and A Q&A at Connecticut Horror Fest, and and got to watch him, and he was amazing. He, we were actually he was doing talking a lot about like when he was doing black exploitation movies in the '70s but yeah rob zombie the first movie i saw unfortunately at age nine uh because my mom was a big horror movie fan and she used to drag me to drive ins (laughs) back in the 70s when i was a little kid so between age seven and nine i got to see like the omen um legend of hell house night of the living dead which freaked me out i think still to this day uh to you know it's that mental scarring thanks mom (laughs) listen to this but no i actually Really love a good horror movie. I think the problem with me is that I got really desensitized. So, the last movie that made me jump, I watched when I was sixteen, and uh, that was Aliens, which really wasn't a horror movie, but really just the first time I saw that had me like at the edge of my seat, like going, "Oh my god!" You know. So, Aliens for me was the last of the horror movie, well, horror esque movies that really frightened me. What would you say the last? What would you say the scariest movie for you was?
2: Oh okay. Oh man, it would be a tie. But from sort of what you were saying with the night of the living dead is Halloween for me. Mm. Anything with Michael, nope, can't do it. Zero percent. Actually, that even uh, that even works its way into my kink with uh, masks. Full face masks are a hard limit for me. Like straight oh, up okay. hard limit. Like cannot do it. And I I one hundred percent track it back to. Uh, track back to to accidentally watching Halloween when I was like seven or eight years old. Um, So that is a terrifying movie. And I refuse to watch it in the month of October period, even still to this day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But besides that, there is a movie called. It's either I think it's Megan is Missing and uh, it is probably one of the most annoying movies the first like hour and 15 minutes of it because it's uh, two teenage girls doing exactly what teenage girls do, which is being very annoying. And then the last like half hour of it is, uh, you know, the aftermath of one of the girls gets kidnapped and sort of what happens. And uh, exactly how I was saying that like real horror, like the f- things that could happen in real life, I find way more terrifying. And that is exactly what this movie was. It, it felt very much like uh, uh what it like refer madness kind of, you know, for that was for marijuana. Like, don't go online kids. Um, <laughs> except it wasn't overplayed. Like the things that were being showcased, you were just sitting there watching going like, no, that's, 100 percent. What happens? Like that's 100 percent what happens, and that I think made everything way more terrifying. And and really, the it's the last like 10 minutes of the movie that just you're sitting there just like completely horrified. And I will say, and they they make that build up phenomenally. The the filmmakers did a wonderful job. And that's probably a movie that I, you only need to watch once (laughs) because it's just one of the, it it sits with you. It definitely sits with you. So that, that is probably the scariest movie ever, which is not it, you know, uh, or else like my favorite, my absolute favorite though, would be house of a thousand corpses.
1: Yes. Uh, The first time I remember the first time seeing it, the, the one scene that really freaked me out was when, um, Otis basically reveals Bill and what he had done to him yeah. after uh, you know removing and adding some different body parts, and just seeing that for the first like when it was first revealed was like just this feeling of because body horror I guess body horror would be where I freak out so anything where it's extreme like watching Hostel yeah. or things like that where there's a lot of very close up body horror yeah that that's what kind of makes me like cringe although house of thousand corpses was done in such a way that yeah I cringed but it was part of the experience
2: yes yeah
1: right so it wasn't like done purposely to to get a response or maybe it was but it was still done in the context of what rob zombie's vision of the movie was yeah. which is a 1970s horror movie
2: and i will agree with you you had mentioned earlier the the way that it was shot was just so uh, it, it was such a period piece without ever needing to be overtly period. Yeah. And I, I that it was probably one of my favorite things about it is that it you, you never needed to necessarily have a date mentioned, but you knew the time that this was in. And I think that that, that I think that that speaks more to his talent as a director than anything else.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like um, some of Tarantino's works where, you know, they don't really give you a time frame, but you're kind of sitting there going, this feels a lot like nineteen seventy Yeah, yeah. So.
2: And those are know, the so. best period movie, because sometimes when it's just like thrown in your face too much, you're like, OK, we get it. <laughs> it's
0: 1975.
1: <laughs> 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 so as, as we close out, is there anyone you want to give a shout out to? Anything that you want to let the listeners know?
2: You could find me on Twitter at Sophia Scandal. That is the easiest way to follow me, get all of the updates on my current offerings, anything that I have going on and to just keep up with how amazing I am.
1: And any other, any other things you want to put, I'll put in the show notes uh, just to make sure that, you know, people who are the audience can you know have links and stuff they can click on so instead of like rewinding and going oh what was that again so we'll we'll definitely get the the show notes
2: i would the only link that i would say is uh for any sex toy safety information any if you know if somebody is looking for any further sex toy information there is a website called hey epifera that is the only thing that I would, for anybody looking for any sort of like sex toy information, that is a great resource and the place that I go for any current information and best opinions on the market.
1: All right. Awesome. And I'll, I'll definitely add those into the show notes as well. All right, well thank you for being on. I honestly this has been a really fun interview and I can't wait to get this episode out. So thank you.
2: Thank you. Uh, this has been a blast for me as well. If you ever need another uh, another guest or anything like that, just let me know. Thursdays I I really have a very boring life. So I I'm pretty available at short notice if you ever want to do it again.
1: All right, awesome. If you have feedback on this episode, questions you'd like to ask us or suggestions, send them over to our host me at host at alternative dash play.com or check us out on the web at www.alternative-play.com and don't forget our patreon at patreon.com slash alternative underscore play thanks again for joining us for this episode of alternative play and remember dragons are not the only things that play in dungeons so keep your gaming kinky safe and consensual
0: Thank you for listening to Alternative Play. We hope you enjoyed your time in our playroom. Alternative Play is an attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international creative commons work. You may share it with whomever you like, so long as you don't sell or modify it. Like what we are doing? Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash alternative underscore play or follow us on Twitter and Instagram.